streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns 24-7, joined as always by the managing editor, our fearless leader, the one and only Taylor Estes. Taylor, how are you doing? You know, Chip, I'm, I'm doing all right. It's a little bit of a tough week this week in uh, this area of the country with the passing of Jake Ellinger, but we're, you know, we're trying to uh, take it day by day. How are you doing? Yeah, it's, it has, I mean, it, this is just uh, devastating news that um, Jake Ellinger, uh, the younger brother of four-year starting quarterback, Sam Ellinger, uh, passed away last week and, um, and the memorial service is Wednesday of this week. We're recording on Tuesday and Taylor, I'm just going to read a little bit from the obituary of Jake Ellinger because uh, a lot of people know him as um, a Westlake linebacker, a star at Westlake and Sam's little brother, but um, yes, he was a university of Texas football player, a linebacker. Um, but he was, and this is from his obit, a Macomb school of business, second year finance student, a Phi Gamma Delta fraternity member, and a member of the Texas silver spurs, just like his dad, Ross, who passed away at the age of 46, um, when he dove in, uh, to the, to the Bay in San Francisco for the escape from Alcatraz triathlon. He, he suffered cardiac arrest and uh, died in 2013. Um, and that just makes this, uh, this loss even more devastating for Jenna, um, the mother of Sam and Jake and Morgan and for, for Morgan and Sam who have already lost their dad and now have lost their, um, the middle child of this family. And um, I'll go back to the obit now. It says, uh, Jake was known for his larger than life, joyful personality, grit, selflessness, and generous spirit of enthusiasm and encouragement. Jake never knew a stranger, whether you were meeting him for the first time or were a lifelong friend. He made you feel like you were the most important person in the room. He had the biggest smile and never judged a soul spending his life spreading joy. Jake was the middle child who was the glue of his family with the ability to turn tears into laughter in a moment. He was his dad's little buddy and they shared an unbreakable bond. His father's spirit was alive and well in every part of Jake's life. Tragic life circumstances created a unique opportunity for Sam and Jake to uplift and empower each other. They were each other's biggest fans, their mother, Jenna, as well as their sister Morgan were the loves of Jake's life. Everyone will miss his giant hugs, but no one more than Jenna and Morgan. And um, just, uh, he, you know, everyone I've talked to Taylor said that Jake's personality was bigger than Sam's, that, that Sam was the, 
you know, fierce, tough guy, leader, John Wayne type, whereas Jake was the guy who lit up the room, kept everyone laughing and was the jokester. And we saw that from DeMarvian Overshawn when he posted on social media after Jake's death saying, I can't tell you how many times Jake made me laugh and helped get me through practice or a meeting. And, you know, he talked about all the memories he had of Jake um, just being a, a bigger than life character. And, and so your, my, you know, your heart breaks for, for Jenna, for Morgan, for Sam, uh, because, you know, when you lose someone who's the glue of the family, man, that'll just, just turn your world upside down. So our thoughts and prayers go out to the Ellingers and um, Wednesday of this week, the memorial service at Riverbend Church right there on 360 in Austin in Westlake. Uh, will be a celebration of Jake's life and, um, you know, just uh, a heavy, a heavy week at the University of Texas. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. You know, it was devastating for us to hear about it. And you can't help but feel terrible for the Ellinger family. I mean, this is a family that has gone through so much, you know, trials and tribulations, losing their healthy father, who is a triathlete at such a young age you know, Sam kind of stepping up, taking over the man of the house type of role. And it is devastating, you know, and, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to the Ellinger family and, you know, I hope they find peace for sure. Yeah. But, uh, um, the players are in finals week this week and, and then they'll, they'll get a little break, uh, until after Memorial day. And then they'll come back for summer school. And that's when all the the new arrivals, the freshmen, incoming freshmen who were not early enrollees. We got some transfers coming in, Taylor. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this, five, five transfers coming in so far under the Sark regime, and four of them are a linebacker, either an outside linebacker slash pass rusher or um, – weak side linebacker, middle linebacker. And, and so a heavy concentration of emphasis. And I, of course, I did my three lot, my three things chat on Tuesday. And, and I asked our membership, what is your biggest concern going into the, into the 2021 season coming out of spring, going into the summer and the majority said offensive line Taylor okay so what is your reaction to that because mine has been middle linebacker right and I'll continue to say that but what do you what do you make of the uh the majority of those in the chat saying their biggest concern is the offensive line I mean I think that it definitely is a position of concern you know I mean um you look at the spring game, it wasn't the greatest showing from either offensive line, whether it's the first team offensive line or the second team offensive line. Now there nine, are a little nine bit. Nine sacks, nine sacks. Yeah, nine yeah. sacks. And, but the, the, on the flip side, you know, there still has not been the offensive line with Derek Kerstetter back in the mix, you know, since he's been 
recovering from his ankle injury. I mean, so there's a big piece of the offensive line missing. The way I look at that chip personally, seeing the fans, you know, concern over it. I get it. I mean, Texas has not been a school that has had elite offensive line play. Um, They've had a few guys that have been elite and those are the only two that have been drafted, but this is not, you know, OLU type of school, you know, this is just, Texas isn't. And, you know, they're, they're not producing the NFL draft picks. They're not producing, they're not getting the five-star, you know, commitments from offensive linemen. They're not even getting the state's best offensive line players um, each and every year. Those players are going out of state to other schools that are producing NFL caliber offensive linemen. So I understand to an extent why fans would be concerned about the offensive line. However, I would say to those fans that do have that as their number one concern if this was a concern by the coaching staff, these transfer players and, you know, trying to get, add more to the incoming, you know, 2021 class, there would be a lot more emphasis on offensive linemen, in my opinion, especially if there are veteran options out there that they feel could contribute right away. And the staff's concern, as you mentioned, or, you know, what they've gone into the transfer portal for has been linebacker. And so in my opinion, I think, you know, these coaches get paid millions of dollars to be the ones that are evaluating the roster, evaluating what they have on the roster, and more importantly, evaluating what they don't have on the roster. So I would say linebacker is the concern for the coaching staff and probably should be the concern for most Texas fans. Not saying that, you know, offensive line may not, I mean, it's definitely a question mark. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's, you know, players that you have to you know, shifting roles, moving positions on the offensive line, uh, replacing Sam Cosme. I mean, there's definitely some question marks there, but my opinion, Chip, is linebacker is not only the concern, you know, from the coaching staff, it should probably be the concern for Texas fans entering this year. But what about you? What is your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I look at the, I look at, uh, and we'll, we'll, how about this? We'll, we'll each come up with, uh, a position on offense and defense uh, that need to um, either the biggest concern or needs to step up the most. And we'll kind of assess that right now. And um, in sticking with the conversation about the linebacker, you lost your leading tackler, uh, Juwan Mitchell um, to the transfer portal. He's going to Tennessee. That's your leading tackler, your middle linebacker, a guy who's, had some experience and, um, and played well when he was dialed in, played well. And you had DeMarvin Overshawn kind of break out over the course of the season, but early in the year against TCU, against OU, he was still trying to figure it out in coverage. He was still trying to figure out his RPO responsibilities and offenses went after him. Yeah, I mean, liability at that point, right? He was a liability Lincoln Riley, got him in a, in a situation that led to a, a touchdown in that game. And then as the season went on, he figured things out. He improved, ended up having a breakout season, led the team in interceptions and, and made plays. And now is a guy everyone's excited about to see how far he can go. Well, the interesting thing is David Benda, had a really good spring by all accounts from the coaches and David Benda plays the same position as DeMarvian Overshawn and, and didn't really play middle linebacker much in the spring at all. Although 
when I asked Sark who would be the leading candidates at middle linebacker, he said, David Benda. And, and so they obviously think if, if DeMarvin Overshawn comes back and beats out David Benda as the weak side linebacker and DeMarvin Overshawn has all the measurables, he's six, four long arms, everything you want can run physical. Then you have David Benda, who's maybe they list him at six, three, maybe six, three. And he doesn't have the length of DeMarvin Overshawn and, and can get lost a little bit if he's, playing at middle linebacker because he doesn't have the strength. He, he's got the speed and that's what you want at weak side. Um, but you need strength at middle. You got to be taking on fullbacks and tight ends coming through the hole. You need to get those guys out of the way so you can make the tackle. And, and so then we start to talk about Luke Brockermeyer, who had a good spring, former walk-on now on scholarship. And, and then Devin Richardson, the New Mexico state transfer, who has also pretty much played outside linebacker, but has the size at six, three, two to maybe move inside, but he's going to be learning on the fly. Um, and so, you know, and obviously that's a, that's a situation to me that just has a big old, uh, alarm on it and mm-hmm. because anytime you're talking about the middle of your defense you want to be strong up the middle you want to be strong at defensive tackle you want to be strong at middle linebacker and you want to be strong at safety and and so that's uh no doubt about it for me on defense that's the position that to me needs has the biggest question marks right now yeah. And you brought up a, you bring up a good point there. It's not just defensive tackle middle linebacker that needs to be the strength of the defense. It's also safety. And there hasn't been great safety play, you know, for Texas, they're replacing, um, you know, Caden Stearns from the safety, Chris Brown, Chris Brown, veteran players, you know, I mean, they, they are replacing a lot in the back end of the defense. And so I think that also adds to, the glaring issue at middle linebacker, you know, because when Texas didn't, they didn't really have too much of an answer at middle linebacker two years ago, they had Brandon Jones. Brandon Jones was essentially the quarterback of that defense. And that's what a lot of times you want to see that from the middle linebacker, not necessarily from other players on defense. It's usually the middle linebacker that sees, you know, the whole field or at least a safety behind that can see everything and get guys lined up, get them in the right position. And Texas doesn't have either of those right now. So I think I agree with you. I mean, you know, I think that David Benda, the, the thing I do like about David Benda is he's proven to be a selfless player. You know, Steve Sark, or he was supposed to be competing at inside linebacker and he, you know, kind of filled that role throughout spring practice. And then all of a sudden it was, he's the guy for middle linebacker to replace Juwan Mitchell. Well, let's think back to his true freshman year when Texas didn't have very much running back depth and they moved. David Benda to running back to add depth. So what I do really like about David Benda, even though he's raw, is he's going to be a guy that's going to do whatever he can to try to help out the team. I love those type of players. So in a sense, I kind of, we did a question of the week last week on Horns 24 seven 
And I said that he was one of the more under the radar players of spring because he really did kind of, you know, work at inside linebacker. Then all of a sudden lines up a middle linebacker for the spring game. He's one of the main, you know, contributor or the, one of the main people that they're, that Sark is seeing for the middle linebacker role. Then you go back to him, you know, filling in at running back just to add depth to the position. So I do, I think that I'm, I'm intrigued, I think, to see what he can bring at middle linebacker if Texas cannot bring in, you know, an, an instant contributor type of player, whether it's, you know, probably from the transfer portal. If they, if they don't have that, I think David Benda at least gets a good enough shot. But I don't, you know, if I'm a Texas fan, I wouldn't be sleeping well at night with that hope <laughs> for that position when there is not the experience behind him at safety too. Right. And that's, I mean, Brennan Schooler is a guy they moved over um, from offense because he played safety at Oregon as a freshman, led the team in interceptions as a freshman. Uh, Forged on a lot of plays. Yeah. I mean, now he, he hasn't listen, played safety since what, 2015? Right. Bijan Robinson made him uh, look, um, well, he, he helped Brennan school or not have the best spring game, but, um, Jaron Thompson, uh, is a guy that we're watching at safety. They feel like he's a, a, a rising star and a guy, uh, who's already a, a leader, uh, as a sophomore, uh, you love to hear that. But the other guy we haven't mentioned is Jalen Ford and Jalen Ford needs to be in the film room nonstop. He needs to be hanging out with Jeff Choate nonstop because Jalen Ford is the guy who they had at middle linebacker throughout the spring and, and a guy who they really want to ascend. But the sources I talked to said that Luke Brockermeyer probably had the best uh, spring at middle linebacker with, with David Benda uh, filling in at weak side linebacker with DeMarvin Overshawn out. So, um, okay. On offense, Taylor, what position, um, has you most concerned the, the folks in my chat said offensive line on offense, what position has you most concerned? Uh, I mean, it's, it's probably difficult. It's probably a little bit of a toss up for me between offensive line and wide receiver. Uh, with wide receiver, you know, I, I think that, that that position can can probably pull it together, um, you know, because an offensive line, the big thing about that is having the, the kind of, you know, consistency of having the same guys, you know, lined up next to each other, all of that type of thing. But I do think that the receiver group, there's a lot of veterans now, you know, upperclassmen in the receiver room, but they're not really playing like upperclassmen. So I think that it's probably definitely a toss up. I would like to see what the offensive line looks like with Derek Kersetter back in the mix when he returns from his injury. Cause I do think that if he's put in the right position on the offensive line, then I think that it will help kind of ease the concerns among Texas fans and the concerns among anybody that's looking at this roster. So because of that, I'm going to give Kersutter a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and say that his presence returning to the offensive line will make the group stronger as a whole, which it needs to get stronger as a whole. And there's no doubt about that. So I would say probably receiver. I think that there's too much talent. There's too much inconsistency and there's too many veterans and there's too much inconsistency for that amount of talent and that amount of experience that they do have in that room. So I would go with receiver, but what are, what about you? Yeah. I mean, I, 
I would say receiver because they've just got to last year. They couldn't even get off press, man. I mean, they couldn't get off press against TCU. They couldn't get off press against Oklahoma state. And that, that has to come to an end. Now Sark will do a good job of scheming guys open with motion and yo-yo motion and whatever it takes to give his receivers the advantage uh, against the defense. If, if they're just trying to get off the line and they can't, he's not going to bang his head against the wall and, and have his quarterbacks getting hit because his receivers can't get off press man. And, and they got to be more explosive down the field. I mean, good heavens, the, the deep ball pass from Casey Thompson to, to Calvante Dixon in the Alamo bowl was like, it was like finding a dinosaur bone, you know, it was so rare. You're, you're like, Whoa, that's what a 70 yard touchdown pass looks like. Haven't seen one of those in a couple of years since what Brennan Eagles catching a 55 yarder against LSU or whatever, but they Sark likes to go deep down the field. Okay. They got to pick it up. They got to be more explosive. Some of that will come with the way that the offense is, is schemed up, but we got to see it. we got to see it over and over again. And, and there's some unknowns, right? I mean, Jordan Whittington hasn't been healthy yet, but they love him. Troy O'Meary, big, strong, good hands. Can't, they're excited to see him in a game. Guy hadn't even played in a game. Right. And, and so, and Joshua Moore, shoulder injuries behind him, got off to a slow start in the spring, came on. Calvante Dixon, Marcus Washington, those guys need to be difference makers. I mean, we can't be sitting around waiting for Xavier Worthy and his 10, six, five speed in the hundred to get here, to be the answer. Heck, we don't know anything about Xavier worthy. I mean, he wasn't right. even, I mean, they obviously got him to flip from Michigan and, and, but you can't put all that on a freshman. You got, you got experienced guys that need to come through and, and make plays. And, you know, if, if there's a position that fans are more worried about than I think they should be. I would say the offensive line. Now here's why, because I think, look, does anyone remember 2009 when Texas had an okay offensive line, but it was not anything. There were no all big 12 players on that line. Remember that was the year that Indomitian Sue had four and a half sacks in the big 12 title game. And Jared Crick had three mm -hmm. and Cole McCoy got thrown around like a rag doll. Yeah. And mercifully, uh, my man, uh, Chris, uh, oh gosh, uh, no Hunter Lawrence, right. Kicked the game winning yeah, field goal. Hunter Lawrence. Yeah. Hunter Lawrence squeaked it right inside the left upright when Bo Pelini thought that the time had run out, but Mac got one second put back on it. So Texas goes to the national championship game. I think this offensive line is better than that. And Greg Davis schemed Colt McCoy rolling out of the pocket, bootlegs, misdirection to try to help that offensive line and allowed Colt McCoy to throw like crazy to Jordan Shipley. Sark will do the same thing. He will scheme it so that that offensive line 
their deficiencies are hidden as much as possible. So yeah. I don't know if that's I, a blazing endorsement for <laughs> don't worry as much about the offensive line, but that's what I would say. How about you? Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, Colt McCoy hid how bad that offensive line was. I mean, that's the reality. Colt McCoy situation. deserved a medal that year. He did. He did. He really did. Like he literally single-handedly his talents hid how uh, insufficient and how deficient the, all of the deficiencies on that offensive line was. I mean, it was that, that Nebraska game was the perfect sign of it. I mean, he was running for his life on pretty much every play yet somehow they made it all the way to that game undefeated. I mean, yeah, I think that. And so, and I, I think that Sarkeesian and Kyle flood, I think if they, once they can kind of get rolling more, this probably will not be too much of a question because both of them have worked with some of the best offensive offensive linemen that college football has produced over the last, you know, number of years, um, both being at Alabama. So I think that year one may be a little tricky, but the one thing that Sark does, and you saw it in the national championship game a lot, you didn't really see it in the spring game because he's not going to, but he finds a way to motion guys open, you know, and he finds a way to make it to where defenses don't know where they're running. You know, that you see a guy running a little bit in, then he runs out, then he runs in, then he runs out. And then all of a sudden he just absolutely torches it. Now it was, you know, Devonta Smith, who is a Heisman Trophy winner. So I'm not saying that Texas has that, but I think that Texas does have enough talent and enough speed on the offense to where I don't think it should be as much of a concern. I do. I, I understand the concern though, because Texas has been so, mediocre at best I think at the position for a decade now uh, overall from the position you know not just talking about the two draft picks like let's just look at the offensive line as a whole starting back probably in that 2009 season I mean it it wasn't great so um but if there is a coach I think that can really kind of hide the the concerns and questions on the offensive line it's probably Sark and um you know and I think you just give Kyle Flood some time to develop some other players and get some good guys out you know in the uh, from, from recruiting to come to Texas and um but yeah I mean I, I think you're it's fair to say that I mean you don't want to hear it <laughs> if you're a Texas fan like oh good so our offensive line's so bad we have to find people to hide how bad it is but I don't think it's so bad either you know I, I think we got a glimpse of it it wasn't great in the spring game totally I'm not erasing that, um, but having some type of consistency of the players on the offensive line, like we've talked about, there's a reason how, how many times do you see players subbing out on the offensive line? Very seldom, (laughs) you know, I mean, very, very seldom do you see them subbing guys in and out of the position. So that also could work itself out a tiny bit more and maybe, you know, make it a better line once Derek Kersetter comes back, in my opinion. Yeah, and there were a lot of young guys in that spring game on the offensive line, including true freshman Hayden Connor playing right tackle for the first team offensive line. He gave up a sack tomorrow at Jomo, and and he's going to get better. And mm-hmm. Jalen Garth is going to get better. And Andre Carrick is going to get better. Tyler Johnson is going to get better. Those are actually four guys I'm excited about their growth by the end of this 2021 season, those guys should be ready to ascend and, and they're going to need to because Denzel Okafor will be done. So will Derek Kerstetter. And, um, and so it'll, it'll be their time. Junior Angelau 
we'll see what, uh, what he decides to do with the, the covert COVID red shirt. But, um, you know, you bring up Kyle flood and I would recommend that our listeners listen to the flagship podcast interview this week with Sam Ocho, because Sam, of course, defensive lineman at Texas played nine years in the NFL was the sideline reporter for LHN for the orange white game. And he goes into detail about the practices, things he observed in practice leading up to the game in meetings with the coaches. And, and he was really impressed with Kyle flood as a defensive lineman who's still number two all time, by the way, in fumble recoveries. Uh, he even explains that he could, pairs it to like Dennis Robin seeking rebounds. But um, he, he talked about how Kyle flood talks to his players all the time about step on their feet, step on their feet. And it's a, it's a metaphor for you need to be up that close. You need to be locked in. You can't be where you're just reaching and letting them, you know, knock your arms down. You need to be up under their chin and he, he says, you need to be looking up at their chin. And that's because low man wins. And he just really was impressed with the way that Kyle Flood coaches these guys. So check out the flagship podcast interview. That is, that is a, just a tiny smidge of what Sam Acho talks about. He talks about all the defensive positions. He talks about the quarterback race. He talks about the coaching staff. Uh, and especially his thoughts on the defensive line, because that's the area that he knows best. He goes in depth about Keandre Coburn, Moro Jomo, Alfred Collins. So uh, make sure you check that out because you know what? Football season never ends right here on the flagship podcast. By gosh, we're here for you. We got you. Um, Taylor, with that being said, we should probably give some love to the Texas baseball team because we, we previewed it last week. They were going to Fort Worth to take on first place TCU. And they get the win on Friday night. Time Madden and company um, scratching and clawing a, a one-run win. And then have it go completely south in game two, where they're making base running errors and mistakes that they haven't made all year and they lose in a two, one game, even though Tristan Stevens was outstanding um, for seven innings, Cole Quintanilla had like perfect relief in both, um, you know, Saturday and Sunday. And, and then they bounce back and demolish TCU in game three, Zach Zubia, a couple of home runs, uh, Cam Williams, they had three home runs in the first three innings to, to get up in that game. And Pete Hansen is exactly what you wanted. He, he was mixing his fastball with his curve and his slider and was effective with the changeup. And that combination just left TCU hitters guessing. They had no clue. And that's, that's great. That's a great sign for Texas because – Look, you get into the postseason, you've got to, everyone usually has two stud pitchers. And if you lose in a regional and you suddenly find yourself in the loser's bracket and you got to go to more arms, 
you better have a third guy, a fourth guy and Texas with Pete Hansen. I mean, he's got the lowest ERA on the team, Taylor. This guy knows what he's doing. He's a competitor. He's a bulldog. Um, everyone's going to talk about the hitting, the home run, Zach Zuby, a big 12 player of the week, but Pete Hansen on the road in a hostile environment in a must win game was filthy. Yeah. I mean, they TCU didn't score until the bottom of the ninth inning. That's right. Yeah, Texas was up nine zip. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. Drew Shiflett came in and got knocked around, gave up single walk, and then a three-run homer. He was out, and Aaron Nixon came back in, and um, the freshman closer, and, and got three straight outs to, to end the game. So, yeah, they were up nine zip in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in and Fort Worth. Hansen, yeah. In Fort Worth, Pete Hansen only allowed two hits in seven innings. I mean, that's exactly what you need from a Sunday starter when it comes to, especially in college baseball. I think, you know, um, my, my brother was a pitcher uh, for, he was at Pepperdine before he went on to um, become a first round draft pick, but having yeah, first round draft pick of my Detroit Tigers. Yep, of your Detroit Tiger. Great place to go, I guess. But, about that, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Pete Hansen is exactly what people were wanting of him to be. You know, I mean, prior to last year, we were talking about him all the time. That this this guy actually after he, you know, came to Texas before the season even started, we were talking him up as he could be a difference maker for the pitching rotation, the pitching staff or at Texas and he didn't really get a chance to prove it too much last year, obviously with uh, the season shutting down early, but now you're starting to see kind of what he can bring to the table and what he brings is seven innings, giving up two hits, no runs to the top team in the conference. I think you take that at any, at any time, you know, and, and, you know, unfortunately, as you had mentioned, you know, Drew Shiflet like kind of gave up those runs late in the game, but they did have backup him you know it wasn't that they were so lost that they have to bring in somebody like cam fields like they used to have him playing you know pitcher um to add to the bullpen because they didn't have the arms and they didn't have that you know guys that they thought were reliable to come and uh help out so this is a good sign especially this late in the season chip i mean if you still have this type of pitching rotation and consistency among the pitching staff that's so huge i mean they're there's a reason why the majority of teams that win the World Series have an a solid pitching staff and pitching rotation. Um, and that is, I think, what you're starting to see kind of come about at Texas. And that's, it's kind of funny because that has not always been the case in recent years at Texas. So this is a positive, in my opinion, for the baseball program. Yeah, and, you, and we've talked about the fact that the three guys who have really kind of come through um, – our freshman. I mean, Pete Hansen's a redshirt freshman. You got Tanner Witt, who's been the fireman, the best middle reliever that the team has. Whenever someone gets in trouble, he's the one who comes in with men on base and he's a freshman, true freshman. And then Aaron Nixon and Lucas Gordon, the lefty who got the, the, the start on Tuesday against Texas state through three shutout innings could have gone longer, but they wanted him available for TCU. And he's, putting it together. I mean, the, and the best story going, of course, is the fact that Pete Hansen got onto Texas's radar. Thanks to a parent 
of another player on his select team in California who tweeted at Texas baseball. You're, if, if, you know, this kid wants to be a longhorn. If y'all miss on him, you're going to miss bad. And so, you know, when Texas coaches went out for the area code games in California, they made a priority to check out Pete Hansen. And by God, that was a, that was a match made on social media. Yeah. And, and you, we had him on the flagship too. Last that's time. right. That's right. <laughs> Our two yeah, summers we, ago, I guess now. Wait, yeah. <laughs> stick with us. Stick with us. We will always keep you in the know. We'll get you the backstories. That's what we do. But um, he, I just love his competitiveness. You know, he had a funny moment against tech where he came in and rescued Texas because uh, Colby Kubitschek struggled and Hanson took over from the first inning. And by the end of the game, one of their best hitters said, dude, can you ease up? And Hanson just, you know, he's so serious on the mound and he just laughed and smiled just for a split second. And, and then he went back to his, you know, to his game face, but it was, it was a funny moment. And you can tell that he's earning respect across the big 12 redshirt freshman. I mean, Ty Madden going to move on. Uh, both he and Tristan Stevens are draft eligible. If they choose to move on, you got to look at Pete Hansen and say, you could be your Friday starter next year. So, I mean, people, well, we'll, we'll get into it. I think we, I think we're going to save a little something for love it or leave it. You know what I'm saying? So I won't, I'll leave it there. But one other thing I do want to say, Taylor, before we get to love it or leave it, um, the Texas men's and women's tennis teams both advanced to the round of 16 of the NCAA tournament. And the women's team is phenomenal because they have five freshmen in the lineup. You have six singles players and Texas has five freshmen. They've lost once all year. This is truly a fab five recruiting class by Howard Joffe, the the tennis coach uh, of the women's team at Texas. And they, I went and watched them this weekend. They are so much fun to watch because they're fiery. They yell for each other from court to court. They know they're freshmen, but they know they're special and they are not intimidated. In fact, they accounted for all the winning points except for one uh, this past weekend. And, and so uh, that's a team I'm having a lot of fun following because I think, and the only loss they had was to number one, North Carolina, who is the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And they won the doubles point to go up one zero in that match. And they won the first set in four of the six singles. And then they kind of said a, they had a, a, a oh moment, got a little loose, ended up losing four to three and they sort of came together at that time and said, you know what? We're good enough. We, we, we didn't need to stop and think, Oh my gosh, what are we doing here? And since then they have been on a war path. So I'm, I'm watching that story. That's, that's a fun one. Howard Joffe, great job because anytime you bring in five freshmen, you think, Oh, well maybe one or two will be comfortable because college tennis totally different than playing for yourself in a junior tournament when you're on a team and your team needs you to come through and suddenly you have to play doubles to start the match, it's different. And 
So Howard Jaffe, great job. Uh, just wanted to get that in there because who knows? Texas men won the NCAA tournament in tennis in 2019. There was no season last year. Uh, the Texas men are back. Um, you know, they're the four seed in the, in the NCAA championships and the women are uh, the, the two seed. So, all right, Taylor, with that, I'm probably the only one who cares about tennis because you know, <laughs> no. you're a tennis I'm guy. Like but I'm just letting you talk, honestly, because I don't have anything to bring to that conversation. Yeah, that's... So Chip is our country club, uh, our country oh, here we go. guru. <laughs> I'm going to take over for what Sean Adams used to say to you. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> country club kids. That's great. Uh, okay. With that, Taylor, you ready for some love it or leave it? Yeah. So we will definitely get to love it or leave it, but we're going to take a really short break. You definitely want to stick around because we have as it's always football season on the flagship podcast, we have more football topics coming in love it or leave it. Plus maybe a prediction about postseason baseball. We will see. So stay tuned. We will be right back. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA champions league 24 seven. The UEFA champions league channel is a new 24 hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Chip, you uh, ready for some love it or leave it? I'm ready. You ready? Yes, sir. All right, I'll start with some football topics, get back to the football talk here. And my first one for you is love it or leave it. The starting middle linebacker for the Longhorns in game one this fall will be David Benda. You know what, Taylor? Right now, I'm going to say yes. And this is, uh, again, it's um, it's not ideal because he's an outside linebacker. I mean, he he wants to compete with Demarvin Overshawn to be the weak side linebacker now, um, and I think the coaches want that to be a competition too because they need Demarvin Overshawn to be pushed. They they need everyone on this roster to be pushed um, in practice and feel like their job's unsafe and up for grabs and you got to earn it every day. Uh, that right now you're looking at Jalen Ford, Luke Brockermeyer, uh, David Benda, Devin Richardson. I don't know if they would move Ben Davis, the Alabama outside linebacker deep slash defensive end. I mean, he's more, he's more likely to back up or compete with Jacoby Jones as the strong side defensive end as he is. I mean, he's 255 pounds. That's not, I mean, Look, if he can run, great. And I'm sure they'll look at everybody because you got to have an answer. And, and Ben Davis from Alabama, uh, his dad is the all-time leading tackler at Alabama. He was a five-star recruit. He's, and he, he's a, a leader. He had shin splints. They thought it turned out to be a stress fracture. He had to have surgery. He missed a year. And you know at Alabama – they got guys in the pipeline and he missed his window. And, and so here we are, but it's, uh, 
right now, right now, this could all change once we get into fall camp. But right now I'll say that I love this um, and I don't really love it. But like you said earlier, David Bend is a unselfish guy like Roshan Johnson. Roshan Johnson has been a difference maker at running back. Maybe David Benda, maybe his calling is middle linebacker. I don't know, but I'll love this. How about you, Taylor? I think I'm going to love it too. You know, unless Texas can find someone in the transfer portal that could be a difference maker, I think that this is probably going to be the case. Now, it's all fluid right now, obviously. I mean, we're, we're talking about a small sample size that we all saw from spring football, which is very limited to begin with. So uh, it's, it's, it's easy and sometimes difficult to make these claims at this time of the year because obviously we, we listen to the people that are in you know practices and witness this and uh, take them for their word. But until you really start putting the, the offense, defense, special teams, like schemes fully together, you're not really going to know. But I think at this point, the fact that David Bendo was the one that Steve Sarkeesian said that he sees, you know, being the, the, at least in the mix to start at middle linebacker for Texas, he doesn't come off to me at, at least at this point as somebody who's going to try to intentionally mislead people by his responses to questions that we ask him. He seems more genuine probably than, well, definitely than the last head coach that was at Texas. But uh, I think that, you know, I think that this is probably going to be the case. Now, again, if Texas can find somebody in the transfer portal or if they feel that a Ben Davis would fit that, it seems a little iffy to me. I would say him moving to middle linebacker being as big as he is, who knows? I mean, we haven't seen him, you know, firsthand yet. So I don't truly know exactly what his speed is and what he could bring to that position. But for David Bender to be the first name out of Steve Sarkeesian's mouth when talking about the middle linebacker position, I think that that is not um, an unintentional move. I think it's intentional and it probably, you know, will shed a light on where he stands in the, the current competition there at middle linebacker. So I'm going to agree with you and I'm going to love that one. Yeah. And ideally it would be someone else. Right. That way yes. you have two excellent weak side linebackers. You have depth at that position, their natural positions, and you have Jalen Ford develop or, or Devin Richardson, the New Mexico state transfer or Ben Davis or someone, a portal transfer to be named later. My gosh, that place is like Hartsfield airport. <laughs> I mean, it, they're coming and going every day. So you have to, they're what the coaches are watching it every day. So, all right, Taylor, love it or leave it. Number two. All right. Number two is in your three things chat on Tuesday, you asked horns 24 seven members to express their biggest concern about the football team going into the 2021 season. A leading response was offensive line. You agree with this, love it or leave it. I'm going to leave this. I'm going to leave this. I can come up with, I mean, we've talked about linebacker, but the other thing too is pass rush. Mm -hmm. I mean, they got to show with all that talent on the defensive line, they got to show they can get to the quarterback. They got to show they can collapse the pocket. They can stop the run on the way to the quarterback because this has not been a big sack team. They, they haven't been, I mean, Joseph Osai, thank goodness came up with the, the sack to save the Oklahoma state game, but he didn't have crazy good numbers. I mean, that's why he was a third round pick. He, he had five sacks and they need 
consistency. They need a Tony Brackens. They need a Sam Acho. Sam Acho had nine sacks in a season uh, on a team with Sergio Kendall. I mean, he, Sam was getting it from the, from the tackle position. So that's what they need. They need a bunch of guys who can get to the quarterback. They need, you know, Ray Thornton. They need Moro Jomo, Alfred Collins, Keandre Coburn, Jacoby Jones. All those dudes need to get to the quarterback on the way to, I mean, stopping the run on the way to the quarterback, because that will hide a lot of your blemishes in the back end of your defense. So um, I'm going to leave that. I, I, I'm going to trust Sark to scheme the blemishes on that offensive line out of your vision and to, uh, to figure out a way to, to make that work. And they're a good run blocking team. That's, that's great. I mean, that's what, with Bijan Robinson, you better be able to, you better, better be able to run the football and they, they can do that. They got big dudes who can go downhill. So um, I'm going to leave that one, Taylor. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to leave it too. Um, you know, I mean, just like how we were talking about earlier in the show, it just, I, I, I understand it. I totally do because that offensive line from what the small sample size that you did see of it in the spring game didn't look great. And I understand why Texas fans would feel that way. I, I'm going to hold off on sounding the alarm on the offensive line until Derek Kerstetter Stetter can get back into the mix. That line can then get into a flow, get used to each other, you know, start working alongside of each other because it has to be cohesive. I mean, the offensive line has to absolutely be cohesive and in order for the success of the offense, really. I mean, unless you have some, I mean, Bijan Robinson obviously is super talented and I think that he will be able to, you know, open up the run game on his own, but you don't want it to always just be on the running back to open up the run game. You need to have some assistance up front because that's a, that's a, you know, heavy type of load to put onto one, one player when there are five people that can really impact that player's responsibility. So um, I understand it. I am going to leave it though and say that, you know, I think that the linebacker position is definitely the biggest concern for me. Um, and I would say probably the back middle of the defense is the biggest concern for me, um, more so than just solely the middle linebacker position. So um, while I understand the concern, I think it's a little bit too early to sound the alarm on the offensive line, in my opinion. And one more plug for the Sam Acho flagship podcast interview. He talks about the chemistry that needs to happen between the offensive linemen and, and why he likes Christian Jones next to Denzel Okafor on the left side after they played next to each other last year on the right side. So people wondering, why are they flipping Denzel Okafor over to the left side and Junior Angelao to the right side? That's why, because the communication between guard and tackle has to be so clear has to be so natural to be able to pick up stunts, twists, games. Um, you know, there has to be a line of communication that's almost, um, you know, subliminal. So that's really good stuff from Sam Acho. Make sure you check out the, uh, flagship podcast interview from Monday. All right, Taylor, love it or leave it. Number three. All right, my final one for you. We're going to switch gears to baseball here, and I'm going to ask you, love it or leave it, 
you think the Texas baseball team has what it takes to get to Omaha? I do. I'm going to love this. And I've been, you know, feeling this way with Hanson coming on and then what he did against Texas tech, where he comes in in an emergency situation and they roll tech in that third game of the series after dropping the first two. And then what he did giving up two hits in seven innings at TCU in the deciding game in a hostile environment and just command of his fastball to both sides of the plate, his, his curve, and then mixing in, um, you know, the slider and a change up. That's just mean. I mean, you know, when the slider looks like a fastball and guys are way ahead of it, it just, that's what you want to see in Hanson has it and he he knows how to mix it and so i i and the hitting you know i know it's come and gone it wasn't there uh saturday against tcu but there were that was there were uncharacteristic mistakes in that game that that game made me go "Uh uh-oh and then all of a sudden they just settled down and and hammered tcu they got bats Zubia, Cam Williams, Ivan Melendez, Mike Antico. They play good defense. I just feel like they play for each other. And that's the biggest thing. They have good pitching. I think they have what it takes to get to Omaha. I'm going to love this, Taylor. What about you? I hate going three for three, agreeing with you on everything, but I'm going to do that. And I'm going to love it too. And the, the, Think you know we've talked about the pitching and that's been you know a, a, a positive for the the team. Um, the bats have been hit or miss at times, but the one thing that I look at you know people want to look at you know batting average and all of those type of stats. What I am impressed with is the Longhorns on base percentage. I think that that kind of to me shows that this is not a team that's about you know making sure there's one guy that's the guy this is a team effort and in baseball especially if you don't have bats all the time if you're getting on base you have a better chance of scoring and in helping your team win I think that their bat on base percentage is I mean it's pretty solid I mean the worst of the you know the guys that are constantly in the mix is 325 that's I mean what 340 is considered a good on base percentage 360 so you know, considered elite or, you know, ideal and then 400s fantastic. And there's a lot of people that are 400 on base percentage. So I think that if you're looking at this baseball team, this roster, the on base percentage shows that this is a selfless team. They're doing everything they can to get on base. They're not just trying to swing for the fences every time at that. And that's what you want in college. You don't really get that too often anymore in the pros. You know, you, you get guys that have, you know, they just launch home runs all the time, but then they get struck out so much, you know, and it's like, they don't care about the team. They care about what their personal stats are because then they're going to, you know, get more money on their contracts where I feel like a complete team is one that plays for each other. And I think that's what Texas has currently both from an offense and defensive perspective. So I'm going to agree and say that at this point, I think Texas does have what it takes to get to Omaha. Well, they have a, uh, they have a game this week uh, against Texas Southern uh, on Tuesday, and then they're off for finals. And then they'll be back uh, next week with a, a midweek game. And then West Virginia uh, at home to round out big 12 play. And we'll see, 
where things lie after they go off um, to the Big 12 tournament and we'll get word on where they're seated. And if they're a top eight team, they would be in line to host a super regional if they can get through the regional round. And that's, that's big. And that's why this series with TCU was so critical because when the committee is trying to hammer it out and who deserves it, you go to head to head. And the fact that Texas won in Fort Worth, even though TCU still in first place uh, right now, you know, they could both end up as a top eight seed and, and both would be in line to host a super regional, but Texas put themselves in position uh, to, to have that possibility with the win over TCU. So uh, good stuff, good stuff. And again, um, you know, heavy hearts, thoughts and prayers to the Ellinger family this week, as we remember Jake Ellinger's life, celebrate his life on Wednesday of this week. And, um, and thanks to everybody for, for listening to the flagship podcast. We, we love it. You know, uh, football season never ends here. Check out the flagship podcast interview with Sam Acho. Um, if you're over at iTunes, we would love a, a five-star rating. Our bosses would really love it. And uh, for Taylor Estes, managing editor of Corns 24-7, I am Chip Brown. Until next time right here on the flagship podcast, stay safe, keep the faith. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!